Blog Talk Radio. Tennis, Mr. Chuck Greasy. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to get in the game. And hello and welcome once again to, this is Coach Chuck Creasy and it's American Tennis every week on Wednesday. And daggone it, is it hot out there? Did, did, did all of y'all ever see that uh, <laughs> Good Morning Vietnam? And you remember them, Robin Williams, how hot is it? Dang hot. Well, he didn't say dang, but dang hot, just hot. Well, how hot is hot? Hot is hot. It's over 100 here in the south all week, but I did get out with my daughter and got to hit a bunch of tennis balls today, and I got a parent buzz like nobody I mean look folks I've been in tennis for since gee whiz 1963 that's a while back I think that 56 seven years 56 years and uh, there's no coaching buzz like the buzz that you get when you're a parent and you go through this whole process and you see your child you see their eyes light up, and uh, my youngest daughter here, I've taught all my kids how to play. I think I've been through this before. Taught all my kids how to play. I've always thought, hey, I never had any lessons. I'm going to make sure they have lessons. And I've got six children, and she's my youngest. And, uh, oh, my gosh, she likes it, and I'm excited. She's in dancing and music, and so I can use those music analogies. Like today I was teaching her. I was saying, honey, off that baseline, you full notes off the baseline. Okay, return of serves, some of these mid-court shots, they're half notes. And when you volley, those are going to be quarter notes and sometimes quick volley, staccato, staccato notes. <laughs> so I can use those. And then the balance from the ballet, oh, my golly, she moves so gracefully. You know, a lot of the kids, when you teach them, they – putting the feet down harder than a sledgehammer on cardboard and it's uh, it's a tough one but she's moving graceful but she's I got a dad's buzz big time and uh, the reason I'm talking about that is because I, I wanted very much to talk today to you parents out there and coaches as well we all look we might be we might have done 
coaching 50-some years, but we're beginners at being parent, and every child is different, and every time we – it might be our fifth child, but we're a beginner in so many ways, and we mess up so many ways, and we feel like, uh, gosh, what in the heck? Are, are they listening to us or not? And and I, the, the other reason I'm bringing up this program today, I'm – of the scheduling, the Cornerstone for Champions is the name of the program, is because I went to the South Carolina State closed this week as well. And I'm embarrassed to say that, folks, it's politically, I'm not going to talk much about the political state of tennis, but they've played four different formats. It's unbelievable. They played tennis, one set for doubles. They played two sets and a tiebreaker for the third. They played no ad scoring and a tiebreaker for the third, not three. Oh, oh, oh. And the fourth thing they did is they took one of the age groups and went and played indoors. It's 95 degrees. They went and played indoors because they're air conditioning, but it's not indoor tennis. And why do people not understand? There's a huge difference between outdoor tennis, indoor tennis. By the way, they played at about five different sites. So that's that's enough, but when you add the indoor element where it serves and nerves and where first exchanges matters so much more than the meat of the point and the kids who learn how to keep the ball in the court get hit off the court sometimes, it's just awful. And that was in the main draw they did that, if you can believe that. I love the guys who run these tournaments. They're good people, but there's bad decisions being made. So let's reverse it. Uh, all you parents who have kids in tournaments, how would you like to go to a tournament and them to be rocking along, playing? And they say, oh, by the way, we moved the quarterfinals of the main draw to red clay or to clay. All right, and it's a little bit different game, isn't it? It's a huge difference between indoor tennis and outdoor tennis, huge. And it's just uh, so I had parents coming up to me, and parents were asking me uh, different questions about things. And uh, it's really funny the difference between the competitive dad maybe and the laid-back mom or the competitive mom and the laid-back dad. But parents were asking me things about, Scoring systems, they were, all of them are very frustrated about this, but some people rock along. They just, you know, they're getting into tennis for the first time, and they, you know, they're just rocking along with it. Other people are appalled. Some people are mad. There's not much to do, but as we've talked about, there is an agenda behind the scenes somewhere. Don't think that there's not. Why would you take a scoring system after 145 years of using a scoring system and so drastically changed a format of how the game is played in to upset the apple court with the with the people who win or the people who lose and make it based on a scoring system or whether you play indoors or outdoors, yeah, that matters. Yeah, it matters a lot. It matters a lot. A lot of kids take upsets. I don't want to get on a tangent here, but in 2009, I coached a girl who was the number one girl in the world. It cost her, it was a $100,000 contract she was going to get from Adidas if she won the U.S. Open. She had won Wimbledon, singles and doubles, won the French Open, this little Thai girl. And so, of course, we get to the quarterfinals, 
and it's raining. So instead of waiting the rain out, like they did for, by the way, the others, they pushed them indoors. Well, guess how many times my girl had played indoors in Thailand? There's only one clay court, and it's sort of semi-indoor-outdoor. There's no clay courts in Thailand, indoor courts in Thailand. By the way, a guy named, well, was the guy's name from India? Some, oh, gosh, the guy from India was on a roll. And this guy from India, oh, i got to think of his name, folks. This kid was a little skinny kid and about six foot tall but skinny, but the guy could make balls. And he was grinding. He was the hottest player out there in 2009. And he took a loss to a big-hitting American guy. I think the kid who went to Ohio State. What was the guy's? So I can't remember back 11 years. Oh, by the way, Tracy Capra lost, one of Frank Salazar's kids. Dennis Kudla lost. We, But it upset the whole rhythm of the tournament. And I went to the tournament director, and he said, oh, it's the same for both kids. No, it's not. No, it's not. It's not the same for my little five foot four tie girl. That had, by the way, it had a two and zero record over the girl that she she was playing. It it was a big difference. It cost her probably a hundred thousand dollar contract with Adidas. If she had won that tournament, it sounded like it was all lined up and and uh, on and on. And these tournament directors, what are they just idiot? I I don't I don't want to call them idiots. I think they're useful idiots for the USDA. They're useful idiots. They don't know what they're doing, and 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 it's it's not not that I want to run tournaments, but you know if we've been around long enough and you've been around long enough, you don't play four different formats at a tournament. You don't take the quarterfinals of a U.S. Open and you shove the people indoor just to get the matches through. You don't do that. That's ludicrous. You if whatever you have to do, you schedule a why don't you schedule a rain day? There's so many other things we could do, but there's lots of bad decisions being made. So, okay, all right, so that's enough being said on that. So what I want to talk to you today about is for your parents about the importance of scheduling and the importance of how you schedule and how important it is for your child. You know, I want you to first, with all parents, and I, I talk to them a lot, I talk to them, look, your child's in tennis. Now, there's, you've got to understand there's a big, big difference between competitive tennis and, champ. you know, you're trying to play competitively and participation tennis. The whole deal, like my daughter, right now, she's going to play participation tennis, you know, until she learns that, hey, Papa, I really like this. I'd like to enter a tournament or something. Well, the first tournament or two, Entry levels could be participation-driven. That's fine. You could play hoochie-coochie scoring system. You could play this any type of rec league scoring system that you wanted to play. That would be fine. But you've got to let parents know that once they start getting to the championship level, USTA, you guys should never, ever play rec league scoring for championship tennis. I don't know what you're thinking, what you're doing. And if you're trying to legitimize it so that you can use it, you marketeers out there, you marketing guys, shame on you. 
You're bastardizing the sport. You're cutting it up, thinking you're going to get a few quick bucks. But we need to be up in arms. We need to do whatever it takes, whatever it takes, all you lovers of tennis out there. We need to stand firm and hold ground and not let our heritage and our history go by the wayside by for these marketing people thinking that they know something about tennis. They don't. They don't. Any of the coaches that have been around a long time think this is an abomination. It's just awful. So the participation tennis, nobody cares. Fine, use that. Use the hoochie-coochie show just as long as my daughter's having fun. But once they want to play championship-level tennis, it gets to be a whole different level. So here's the conversation I had with one of the parents. With one of the parents, uh, they said, well, my child's playing this tournament. What do you think? I said, well, here's what you look at, look for. You know, I they first of all, they're hopefully they're able to lengthen their rallies. Everybody hits the ball good, about the same at these different levels. Remember, your level is your level for a reason. I said, then they learn to lengthen the points. They can get in long, longer, lot longer points. They can get past the first exchanges into the meat of the point, and then they make it or they flub up toward the end of the point when they have a chance to close the point. Then they learn to lengthen the games, and how dare these guys that are making them play no-ad scoring. The the difference in extending a 16-point 16 16 game early in the match, it matters so much as that match goes on. Every game is not 16 points. You'll have one or two of them, and then kids get to the place where the, the rallies get shorter, they make errors earlier, and then the person wins 6-2-6-0 who can – keep the ball in the court actually then they learn to lengthen after the lengthen the points they lengthen the games then they lengthen the sets they're they're able to get deep into the match you'll say well my son my daughter had a great 7-5 first set with the number one seed and then they lost 6-1 something happened they went away what happened is it's just normal process normal breakdown process that happens and that they have to go through that. They have to be in the fire to know how to handle the fire. Then what happens, they learn to lengthen the sets. Then they learn to lengthen the matches. And shameful, it makes me sick to my stomach. I can't stand it. But these daggone people, these tournament directors in USTA, you guys, what are you thinking? I mean, come on, show me the results. Show us the results of the Grand Slam champions we've had that have gone through your system. Lately, who do, who, do, who do we have out there that have gone through all this, you know, red, orange, green, and then, hey, wait a minute, the pathway, and who, who do we have out there that's winning Grand Slams? First time in history, nobody on the men's side from the USA is seeded in the final, in the 32 draw at French Open. Nobody. Well, they must not learn how to keep the ball in the court. Now, why do you think why we, the French Open, we've never done well? Well, then you learn to lengthen the matches. You go deeper into the matches. Then guess what? You go deeper into the tournament. The first round losers, the second round losers start and end up enjoying, hey, I'm mom, dad, I made it to quarterfinals. I made it to the semifinals. Wait a minute, I was playing for third place on that championship day. Then they learn how to 
put a string of good tournaments together. Then you learn to lengthen the season, you learn to lengthen a career, and so on. So you can see the sequence. This is how kids get better. So I talk to parents and I tell them, these, this is the normal procedure of getting better. And then one of the parents came up to me and said, boy, coach, my kid messed up here, but he won the match, but the coach was still upset with him that he coached, and he made him go run afterwards. I said, whoa, 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 whoa. You're the parent. You're the parent. Parents, listen to this. You're the parent. I would never, ever, I've coached 50-some years of tennis. No, 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 sorry, 48, 48 years of tennis I've been coaching, 42 years in college. I would never, ever, ever go up to my son's baseball coach and say, hey, coach, maybe you should do this. Not even that much. But the point being is that I'm the dad. Now, if you're the dad and the coach, you've got to be able to separate those two very strategically and very make sure your youngster knows I'm in my dad. I've got my dad hat on now or my mom hat and I've got or I've got my coach's hat on. It's a tough, tough deal. It's hard to do the two. But the bottom line is he was getting on the coach a little bit. I said, whoa, 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 whoa. Look, there's three kinds of coaching. you got resort coaching, country club coaching, and coaching. The resort coaching, you just feed in the ego and try to sell a few rackets. The country club coaching, you say, hey, Billy, let's take 10 laps, and we're going to work up a sweat, and let's work on that rocket forehand, and it's coming along nicely. So country club coaching, you about the 70th point where the kid thinks he's working hard and the parents think he's working hard, and too bad he barely lost that match at the city championship because, you know, he he's had his better days, but he just didn't have enough you know, uh, Gatorade before he played or something. And, uh, you know, and I, you know, you do those things in, in the country club coaching, they have to rely on the kids coming back. But with the coaching, you don't rely on the kids coming back. You feed them the straight up truth and you tell them what it is. And 100% of the point time, I tell parents comfort bears no fruit and if you if you know you want coaching, you want coaching. If not, we'll go with the country club route and just try to be Dr. Feelgood with them out here. So it's important that the parents understand that difference between competition, again, and participation sport, that the parents understand there's three levels of coaching. Now, if you want real coaching, let the coach do his job. The worst thing you could ever do is try to interrupt. Now, if you interrupt and the coach doesn't put you in your place, he's not a good coach. He's looking at your pocketbook instead of uh, doing the right thing by your kid. It's not about feeling good. It's about getting the job done. They can feel good in the tennis center afterwards or when they're in the office or something with the coach. But out there on the out there on the out there in the work area, they're doing their job. So, it's very very important. Okay, so. We're getting to the scheduling part of it. So um, I'm going to do a quick commercial, and then we'll be right back. But, folks, I've got about 30 seconds here. Look, all of us are the point of this first part of the show. All of us are parents. When, when we're parents, let's be championship parents. And it doesn't mean we do what is right for the the, the spiritual, the emotional, 
the mental and the best growth opportunity for our children and put them in front of the right people, but we're always going to be a second stringer as a coach, even you tennis parents. When my daughter gets old enough, I'm going to put her down the road uh, with a different person, and uh, I'll I'll see things, I'll help things, but nah, I'm a, I want to be a better parent than I want to be a tennis coach with, with, with my daughter, and I think you understand that. We'll be right back. folks, this is Coach Chuck Creasy, and I wanted to talk to you again today about my book, Coaching Tennis, and it's been out there for over 20 years. It is all over the world, and folks, it has helped countless amount of youngsters. We've got over 40,000 copies out there around the world now, and it tackles the physical, the mental, and the emotional part of the game of tennis. There's so many questions that you as parents, our coaches, our players need answers, and you can get them from Coaching Tennis. Go to Amazon. It's Coaching Tennis by Coach Chuck Creasy, and you can order it today, and it can be in your mailbox tomorrow. Coaching Tennis. WD-40 and a Craftsman Ranching. Oh, sorry. I get used to the song. What can I, heck can I say? Made it, making them in America. <laughs> and look, making them in America, here's what I want to always remind all of you. When you make them in America, you can make them a hundred different ways and be champions. Don't let anybody tell you there's only one pathway. It is a highway, a freeway, an expressway. And you be the one that's that's novel, and it keeps you. If you follow somebody else's recipe, it's never as good as following your own or grandma's that was passed down through generations, is it? But uh, let's make them in America, and that means making them freely. And look, stand up, speak out, say what needs to be said. I told parents at this tournament I was at last week, this last week, that all that it takes for evil to prosper is for good men, good women to, to do nothing. Edmund Burke, that statement. And we will get what we deserve if we don't stand up and speak out against this atrocity that they are doing with the game of tennis. So I'm going to talk about scheduling. Yeah, scheduling, um, got a few stories to tell you here. Um, first of all, um, there was a very, very good player when I went to Thailand. This is a good example, and I'm not going to say his name, but wow, what a competitor, uh, excellent competitor, and doing really, really well. And he popped up, and he won two rounds at the Australian Open. So his ranking went from, gosh, something like 140 to up to 70, 
just bang, just like that, winning two rounds in the Australian Open. So right away, everybody's excited, and he's excited because now instead of traveling around on the challenger circuit, which would be like 3A baseball for those of you, they'd have the future circuit, the challenger circuit, and then the, the tour events. But to do well in a Grand Slam event where it's three out of five sets, this is, this is a big, big deal. So his scheduling the next year, instead of scheduling, I'd say the scheduling properly and doing the things that he needed to do for growth, of course the, the apple is right there in front of you to pick. And it's uh, and parents, you do this all the time. We have te- always have temptation to just try to run before we can walk and um, run up the steps, skip steps instead of controlling every steps. And, yeah, you can run up the steps if you control every step. But just always remember it's a long fall if you don't take care of the level you're at. So, obviously, his top level was top 70 in the world and, and wonderful. So, right away, instead of playing any of the smaller tournaments, he went on to tour events. So, guess what? Free hotel some appearance fees, more money, more travel, more newspaper articles, more glitz. And that next year he won a total, I think, of three matches, three matches. So, wow, this was a quick um, volcano eruption, and then it was like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute, I'm supposed to be in the tour events, but actually he went down to his lower level. His lower level was back on the challenger, sweating it out week to week to week. Now, he was going to have to play challengers anyway. Uh, no, Nobody just runs up the steps. But, look, as far as parents, this happens all the time. Your youngster wins an event, and then you go, wow, uh, my youngster is ready to win all the events. My youngster won this this." tournament it was so good now wait a minute they only made the quarterfinals they flopped it they did they did bad or oh they're supposed to win why aren't they seated number one now everybody has a top end and a bottom end they what'll happen is your youngster starts to improve what happens that top end goes up and as their confidence improves that top end goes up that top level goes up but also but what happens the bottom level stays the same. So let's see this, this guy's top end went up his very, very best day. He could beat 60 in the world, but on the very worst day, he could lose to 300 in the world. Well, what ha- you have to do is you have to take care of the top end, plus you've got to take care of the bottom end. And nobody likes to do that. So what I've done for all of you today is I've, I, I've I put together this, this thing about the level your youngster is at. Now, every level, there are four levels. At every level, that means whether you're a beginner tournament player or you're a Grand Slam champion, there are four levels. There's four levels. There's a level where you can't win, you could win, you should win, or you're going to win. Or if you want to work backwards, the easy ones, there's levels where you're going to win, or you sh- then you should win the match. You could win the match. Or you can't win the match. I usually start telling parents, look, there's level where you can't win. Let's say your son is a top, oh, he's top 12-year-old in the state of South Carolina. And all of a sudden, he says, well, you know, I'm going to play in the 14 and unders and the Southerns. Well, 
probably he could win a lot of matches up to about the quarterfinals. Your, your, your son could win those, your daughter. But the point is that in the semifinals or the quarterfinals, you run into this person who's number 12 in the country or 20 in the country, and you just can't win. So you've got a can't win match there. And then what happens is you play that match. Let's say you take a, you, you skip the 12 and under tournaments completely, and you all play can't wins and could wins. Well, everybody likes to play those. Your parents, I've even had parents say, look, more exposure to better players, they're going to be better themselves. No. Exposure to better players allow you to maybe hit the ball at a higher level. It allows you to maybe see the level. But the critical time comes, you've got to change those could wins into should wins. You've got to change the can't wins into could wins. You've got to change the could wins into should wins. You've got to change the should wins into going to wins. Years and years ago, I heard a basketball coach said he tries to schedule a third, a third, a third, a third above, a third even, and a third below. And there's a timing to doing all of this, too. I put it in four levels. I put it can't win, could win, should win, going to win. And so I, you know what I love about tournament tennis over team tennis? Team tennis is a very, very good participation thing because you get to play. And you might get any one of those at any match. If you're playing number four on a high school team, you get you might get a can't win or a going to win or a should win or a could win. But in tournament tennis, usually, if you're playing at the right level, usually you're going to play the first round, you're going to play the going to wins or should wins. Then about the middle rounds, about the round of 32, round of 16 or quarters, you're going to play the could wins. And then semis and finals, you usually play the can't win. So you play level with yourself or below your level, and you get through the first couple rounds. Then you play people that are even with you, the middle rounds, and then in the finals, you play against those players that are a huge challenge for you. That's the right level of a tournament. So people will say, well, what, when do you play up? We well, could play up a lot of different times, but I'd like to talk about scheduling in this way. First of all, I've, I've said it before in this program, but if you'll take a piece of paper now, parents, and if you'll draw a big circle like a clock, and instead of the 12 numbers on the clock, put January through December, 12 months, huh? All right, now what I'd like for you to do is take four pivotal times minimum during that junior's year, maybe that's all you would do at the highest level, but let's maybe look at five times. Let's look at the high school, maybe state championship time, which is late March and April. All right, now let's look at the state qualifying tournament. Okay, that's about four weeks later there. Now let's look at the national qualifiers and championship okay now let's look at the fall nationals over thanks so you understand where i'm saying these four pivotal points let's say let's start with four so one of them each of these are spread out by about a month anyway sometimes two months which is okay but what you do during that segment of 
before and during that big event, let's say it's the Kalamazoo for the 18-year-old singles. That's the, that is the top, top player, if you ask any junior in America, any junior male in America, would they rather be ranked number one in the country or win in Kalamazoo? They would say win Kalamazoo. That's the top tournament. So let's look at how you would build up the Kalamazoo. All right, so what you do, that's in August. So let's say four weeks out, you're coming off of a rest. So four weeks out, you train, and you build your training up to where you're doing your fitness and all that, and then you build up to where by the end of the week, you're playing a lot of practice sets. And about 10 days into it, you're playing lots and lots of practice sets that you win maybe two or three a day, but get those wins, get used to converting games, get used to being able to play the do-sad and getting three points in a row and learning how to convert the games when you get an ad. Play the should wins and go to wins. There's no bad win in tennis. Now challenge yourself once or twice in there with a match that you could win or can't win. But your first tournament, guess what? Your first tournament needs to be leading up three tournaments before or two tournaments before. It's going to be a level four that you're going to win. You're going to win that tournament. You're going to carry the trophy home, no matter whether it's the Boy Scouts of America, Little Sisters of the Poor, the state J, the local JC tournament, or the where I played was the Garfield Park. God bless all those old men who used to play with me over there, but the Garfield Park open or closed, you know. I mean, I don't care. Carrying the trophy is important. We used to have CYO tournaments when I grew up in uh, CYO in Indianapolis, Indiana. And, boy, oh, boy, those tournaments, those are confidence builders, those in the city park tournaments. There is no bad win in tennis. So you play that going-to-win or should-win tournament. The next tournament you play is a should-win a should-win tournament, and then see how you do there, and then you should, if you're ready, if you're in the flow of things, the next week should be Kalamazoo, or sometimes kids go and get matches where it's a mixture of should-win, can't-win, and could-win at the national team situation, and I wouldn't recommend more than three matches that week, the week before. Then you go to Kalamazoo. Now, that's four, three weeks or four weeks. Guess what you do right after Kalamazoo, folks? You go back and you play that CYO tournament. You carry a trophy. After you, the Kalamazoo, let's say you win two rounds, you get your heart broken in the third, third round, and you stink it up in the back draw, well, you have that level four, or you, the going-to-win tournament right at the end of it. I always schedule a week tournament right after a big event. Now, if, the, if your youngster wins that tournament, like Kalamazoo or does great, gets to the semis, you don't play that easy tournament. You sit on the win. You sit on the win and you absorb all of it. You enjoy it. You digest it for three, four days. Then you go back to work and you go through the same process. Now, if you do that four times a year, that's 20 events. You do it five times a day a year, it's between 25 and 30 events. That's about right. That's about perfect for a youngster. I'm very much against youngsters. You know what? USTA is trying to get match count up, but they're getting match count up at doing rec tennis models. 
the rec tennis models of no ad scoring and all these abbreviated crap. Yes, it's crap that they're playing. Your kid just gets good at being at gets good at playing crap tournaments, crap formats. They do not learn by playing abbreviated formats. It's, it, you don't ever learn to lengthen the points and do the many things that we talk about so often here. So with your scheduling now, if you think about it, if you will do that system four times a year, now look, you might throw in a tournament here and there on impulse. But here's what I wanted to say to you, and I've got a few minutes here, but what I wanted to say is this. There is no bad win in tennis. Get a rep at winning. Get your kids used to rep at winning. Winning the matches that they should win and they're going to win brings up that lower level. So remember we said tight end and little, little end? What that player needed to do in Thailand, top level was 60 in the world, bottom level was 300. He needed to get to the place where his top end was 60 to 55 and bring the bottom level up to 130 in the world. And then he's on his way. Then he's really on his way. So that was a scheduling mistake. People think, hey, there's magic that happens once you win against a big player. No, it's not. The real magic happens when you are able to lock in your level and you can win. See, kids break through when they be, they win the should win, the could win matches, but you become the real player when you do that could win turns to should win and you do the dirty work and you win the butt quiver match. Okay, the butt quiver match is <laughs> your hands are shaking, you're playing terrible, nothing's going right, and you still get through it. The butt quiver wins are critical. I think about Clemson football. I think back at their win against Louisville three seasons ago, their win against Notre Dame. The butt quiver wins. My golly, NC State hit the crossbar, the goalpost, the upright goalpost to uh, – Keep them from upsetting Clemson that year. You've got to win the butt quiver wins. Your, the other guy has two match points, three match points, but you still get through it. It's not comfortable. Sorry. Becoming a champion, com- comfort bears no fruit. It's emotional discomfort as far as – and then physical discomfort and mental discomfort. So, I, you know, look, coming up in, in – in, if I have my daughter wants to play, number one, I'm going to try to help her become the best tennis player she can. Then secondly, as she works on her levels, whether it's the GRIPS program or the UTR, or whether she does it through this system, I don't understand with the USTA. I don't understand their point system. Sorry. Been in tennis 48 years, still don't understand how to sign my own kid up for a tournament. It is crazy out there, and all I can say is those, you know, those Barneys who were running Mayberry that came up with these systems that were so smart and smooth, you know what? They're not practical. Again, we need incentives. Show the kids the hill they've got to take, then let the coaches be turned loose and let the players be turned loose and let the parents be turned loose to pursue those hills. Tell us to take the hill. Don't tell us how so much. Centralized government never works. Look at our school system. Why is our, why are our school systems suffering so bad? Centralized government. 
This is the United States of America. It's not a socialist republic where we need centralized government dictating everything. We need them as helpers, and we need them as encouragers. We need them as facilitators. We do not need your systems of how your pathways and all of your paralysis by analysis, USTA. We don't need all that to be great, not in U.S. We don't need it. You're killing it. You're killing. You want to. You want to kill. You want to kill a great cook. You know, over <laughs> a great one was that. What the heck was that movie was out with that woman was paralysis by analysis, and that guy was one of the greatest chefs. Oh, the chef was funny. The movie, the chef, that was hilarious. Uh, I think uh, Dag Gona, Dustin Hoffman was the owner of the restaurant, and he was doing paralysis by analysis. The guy wasn't allowed to be creative, and he went and bought a Dagon uh, truck and drove around the country and became a hit on his own. That's USA, folks. Same thing with your tennis. No, but you, you parents have got to understand it's not like these people are dreaming up this stuff or smart about this. A lot of times they get second stringers in office positions, and computers have allowed office people and number two and three people to have too much power, and they can put these nice systems together. But you got to go to the people who've been out in the field. Go to the people. I'd, I'd go to check out Wayne Bryan's, you know, and, and check <laughs> check out the Pat Harrison's and the parents of, of kids who have done it without the USTA, you know, having to breathe down your throat all, neck all the time. And Daggone it. You know, look, we need it. It's great. I'm glad we've got the USTA, but my God, they're a great, great organization, very, very poorly orchestrating. They're bad orchestrators. They set, look, they, they can set up the orchestra. They should never conduct the orchestra. How's that? They, they, they can set up the set up all the pieces, and then say, go have at it. But, but that's probably a good one. you got these marketing guys that are trying to run things, and they don't have any business doing this. And you know what? They're failing. A good coach, coaching friend, Coach Randy Blumendahl, just said, hey, if these people were doing it great, everybody would be jumping on board and think you're really on to something. But they're not. They're not. Show me the results. You know, show us the results. No, no results. They can... Any, I'm going to stop there. <laughs> let me let me just say this. When I used to send kids out into the pros, and I hope I will be sending them out into the pros very very soon here at the Citadel and all the work I get to do here, this fantastic place. But I used to tell them three goals. Number one, get better. Number two, yeah, work to get your points so you can move up in the rankings and levels. Number three, you know, then you make money. With you juniors, Guess what? Go out and get better. Learn. Get better and learn. Secondly, ratings are good. I like the UTR because every any kid out there, you ask them what the rank, they go, oh, I don't know, somewhere between 80 and 100 now in the USTA. In the UTR, they say, no, no, I'm a 9.1, Coach Creasy, and I'm working towards a 9.5. UTR was a great, great thing that was thought up independently but with with all of the scorn of the USTA and all of the roadblocks USTA put up, 
the independent guys of Greg, uh, Dave Howe, and doggone Daryl Cummins up there at Virginia Beach. Those guys were the guys that did it. And they put this thing together independently, and it's the best thing out there. And they didn't have any red, orange, green ball stuff behind it, did they? Did they? So, you know, I usually have an antidote or a story to tell you, but uh, I would say this. And I don't have the, the story, but I, I'm going to – this. In the end, your child has to fall in love with this sport. You're, in the end, your child must see the sport much deeper than just simple successes, just what is my ranking, hey, I got a scholarship, I can use what I got out of the sport. They must see it as an art form. They must see it as something that touches their heart and that they would do, they would rather do it and lose than not to do it. They would rather play tennis and not be successful than to not do it. And if they could get to that place with it, they will be successful ultimately. The coin language always is folks out there in everything you do work for mastery, not for success. Mastery will give you success. Success will not always or usually not ever give you mastery. Thanks very much for being with us today. I want to remind you because I always play that song. They play that song in about 15 seconds. But I want to remind you you're in the process of winning or losing every day of your life. And it has very, very little to very, very little to do with a win or a loss. God bless you and we will see you next week.